Additional support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry, providers of AMS 2750F assessments and training. More on the web at www.atp-cal.com. That's atp-cal, as in calibration, dot com. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today. If you'd like to hear about other ways that Heat Treat Today tries to help you, stick around until the end of today's episode. Now let's jump right into the episode. So we are we are back today for our second of a three-series uh, three uh a podcast with Andrew Bassett from Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Doug. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, our, our pleasure to have you. We want to hear exactly what's going on with the AMS 2750 Rev F. And so first, Andrew is the president and CEO of Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry, headquartered out of Bethlehem, PA, but offices all across the country does a lot in in pyrometry services that type of thing. So uh, Andrew also had a seat on the committee uh, that that was responsible that owned the AMS 2750F re- revision. So he can speak with uh, with a firsthand knowledge of some of these changes. So last time uh, in the first episode we we covered. Uh, a couple of different things, but it was all focused around thermocouples and calibration. So if you are interested, you can go back and listen to the first part that we did last time, which dealt with the major changes in thermocouples and sensors, major changes in instrumentation or in instruments, major changes in calibration, and then we also spent a little bit of time right at the end of the last uh, episode talking about offsets. So that was yes, last is, Go ahead. Yeah, and the offsets was one of the major changes that I think we as a team did a very good job of spelling out the new requirements for uh, the two different offsets of modification offsets and correction offsets. So it's uh, that's a valuable tool to go back and, and take a look at. Great, great. So that's what, if you didn't catch that first episode, you can certainly do that. Uh, go on to heattreattoday.com, jump back on, into the radio section, which is under Heat Treat Media uh, on our main navigation tab. So, and check that out. So that should be very much worthwhile. So uh, before we jump into the topic for today, which is the system accuracy tests, SATs, I wanted to ask you a question about this revision. You know, a lot of times uh, the AMS folks will come out with a minor modification or, a, you know, not a huge modification, let's say. Other times it's, a, it's pretty much a rewrite end to end. How would you classify this revision F? Where does it fall on that scale? It, it leans towards the side of a complete rewrite. I think, uh, you know, one of the big things that changed was obviously the number of pages of the document, uh, you know, jumped from, I think we had a roughly 30, oh, no, 43 pages up to 54 pages. We added, um, uh, we expanded the number of tables that were from rev- revision E, which had 11 tables into to 25. This was more to do some more clarifications of the requirements um, to kind of spell things out a little bit. So I'd, I'd be leaning on this as more of a complete re- rewrite. There's going to be you know quite a bit in there that's you know brand you know uh, you know same old stuff from the previous revisions, but uh, there's quite a 
bunch of new stuff. So I, I would lean this was a complete rewrite, and that's and that's why there was no change bars associated with the spec. Um, typically, when these specs get revised, there's change bars, you know, to show you where the changes are. But since this was, you know, more of a rewrite, then we we left out the change bars this time around. Yeah, gotcha. So instead of instead of having someone go in and quote unquote cheat and just look at the chain bar change bars, you yep. got to pretty much start from the beginning and go straight through. So okay, yeah, absolutely. Where do you see some of the major changes in RevF on the overall or the resident SAT? Not a whole lot completely changed on the, the resident sensors. We still allow for the, the same sensors as we did in the previous revisions where um, you're, you're limited to um, different types of sensors based on the temperature ranges that they were going to be seeing. So, for instance, if you're above uh, uh, 500 degrees Fahrenheit, then you're going to be limited to type N, S, R, or B thermocouples. And if you're above 1,000 degrees, they would have to be what's called a non-expendable thermocouple, so the, the metal sheet type thermocouples. So we didn't we left uh, that uh, stuff alone. But one of the things we did allow for in, with the new resident sensors, which I think might be about the I believe is a benefit to the suppliers that have to use that or are using the resident sensors is we're going to allow for um, let's say you have an over temperature sensor and you want to use that as also your resident sensor. Um, you're allowed to do that now, as long as you follow the the guidelines that we, we say that a resident sensor has to be replaced. If it's a, a base metal thermocouple has to be replaced every 90 days or on a quarterly basis. If it was a, um, a noble metals, one of the type R, S or B's, it would have to be replaced every six months or recalibrated every six months. So we did allow for, Hey, if you have this extra sensor that is, is using as a dual roles, it's going to be your resident sensor and it's also going to be your high limit protection for your your furnace then yeah we can you can go ahead and do that so i think that was you know something that's beneficial to the suppliers so hey we can we can use this we don't have to go out and put a third sensor into a furnace or drill a hole into you know to put our uh resident sensor in so um they the the one thing that we you know want to make sure with these resident sensors is that the uh, position shall be verified during the installation process and also when it's replaced uh, so when it's in that a fixed position, we want to make sure that it's not moving. So you just want to make sure that that resident sensor is, you know, typically you see like a compression fitting that's going to, you know, tie the thermocouple down and, and lock it into place. So it's not moving between tests. So we want to, we kind of said, hey, when you replace these things, you shall verify it when you put it in and on a replacement basis. Also, uh, we also going to allow that that resident SAT sensor. So, you know, it's always been that the uh requirement to permanently, or I shouldn't say permanently fix, but, you know, put that thermocouple in there for the 90 days or uh, uh, 180 days and leave it in there. Well, we're going to allow you to take it out between the tests, but as long as it's verified after every single time it's replaced. So again, that's, you know, I'm not a big believer in that just because, you know, if someone doesn't come out and verify it from quality, uh, that it could be in the wrong position. So, you know, but we are allowing it if you want to independently move this thing in and out between the tests, that's acceptable. You still have the same uh, replacement uh, periods as quarterly and 180 days, depending on the sensor type. So we, we did give a little bit of leeway on that from the resident sensor standpoint. Again, we didn't make a whole lot of changes on it and just wanted to, you know, you spell out a little bit of differences on, on those uh, uh, allowing for other types of sensors to be used, uh, have a dual purpose, I should say. Yeah, dual purpose. Okay, great. All right, so let's move on to the second second issue then, and that is the alternate SAT process, which I know is uh, 
has sparked a lot of questions with the articles we've had on our website. We've always had people asking about what we can do, what we can't do. So let's talk about that. Sure. So the previous revision in RevE was kind of this dark black hole of what the alternate uh, SAT process was all about. So finally, it was just uh, it was more spelled out in what's called the pyrometry reference guide. That's the uh, document that NADCAP puts out, kind of uh, the, the pyrometry for dummies, so to speak. Uh, that they, they uh, it's the, their interpretation of AMS twenty seven fifty, and then kind of uh, evolved that into um, uh, what's called a heat treat audit advisory. So there were different um, interpretations of how this alternate SAT that were conflicting to the suppliers. So we said, let's let's make this more clear cut of what the expectation of this alternate SAT process is. So first off, it applies to um, load sensors that are used once or for any other type of sensor um, uh, control or recording sensors that are replaced at the same or less frequent than the normal SAT intervals. One of the things that was in the previous uh, version that we kept in there that the calibration has to be performed from where you connect the sensor. Um, and then we said, once you do that calibration, you need to do one of the following three options have to be met. So option one is say, we take the sum of the sensor calibration error. So that's when uh, uh, calibration is done from that point of connection and runs through this, the whole system, including the connections, the lead wire and the instrument itself. And you document those results. And then you you uh, you add that algebraically add that to the correction factors or the errors of the um, of the wire that's being used or that's you know, being replaced more frequently. And if those two sum if the sum of those uh, two correction factors are within the allowable SAT tolerance of AMS twenty seven fifty, you would have to document that. And that's that's one that's one of the first options you do. So that's um, basically taking, it's basically just a math function. It's sitting at your desk and taking the calibration report of your process instrumentation, uh, typically for the recording, and adding it to the wire that's being used. And if you fall within that certain table uh, of AMS 2750 for SAT tolerances, you're good to go. So it's kind of a desk SAT, as they call it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the other way of doing this is you can also use the appropriate sensor and instrument calibration correction factors. Either you uh, program them, uh, you can program into the system or uh, apply it manually um, as allowed by the limits in AMS 2750. So basically, you're taking the correction factors for the instrumentation that you have calibrated and the sensors that you have uh, calibration certs on and programming that into your system as long as that meets within the uh, again the applicable table of AMS 2750 that is the second option that is allowed so you're always or you're you're basically using the correction values from your calibration reports for your instruments and your thermocouples and you will always be within your SAT requirements and then the third option, which we spelled out, I think we did uh, a good job of spelling this out, is you can do a couple things here. So you can limit your instrumentation calibration error. So company comes in and does your calibrations and says, and the supplier says, hey, I don't want any of my, my channels to be more than one degree out of, uh, uh, out of calibration. So you adjust the instrument calibration to be within that limit, or you can also buy, uh, you know, specify when you purchase thermocouple wire, I won't take any thermocouple wire that's no more than two degrees uh, out throughout the whole range I need them calibrated in. In that instance, you will always 
be compliant to the requirements of the SAT tolerances. So if you restrict your calibrations and you restrict the the error on your thermocouples, then you will always meet that requirement. All you'd have to do at that point is to show, uh, you know, for documentation purposes, okay, well, here's my instrument calibration reports. It says they're all within one degree. Here's all my wire certifications are all within two degrees. And that will always meet the, the most stringent requirement for SAT tolerances. Yeah. So uh, as long as that documentation's there, um, I, um, you would be able to show compliance to the requirement. So those are really the three new, you know, I shouldn't say new, but more defined uh, options you have. Or we, it, it really was just, you know, you gave it to, uh, you know, a hundred different people to read it and they say, well, I don't know what to do with this information. Well, this is, this is what we actually meant. So we kind of, we kind of put that out there a little further now. Good, good, good. We'll finish up the interview with Andrew Bassett in just a moment. But before we do, don't forget that aerospace testing and pyrometry is your one-stop shop for pyrometry services, training, NADCAP and heat treat consulting, witness and litigation support, instrumentation sales, and laboratory services. ATP is a customer-oriented company with five locations across the country. And as of October 2020, ATP is now offering aerospace compliance software. If you're looking for a reliable, responsive source for anything pyrometry related, you've got to check out aerospace testing and pyrometry on the web at www.atp-cal.com. That's atp-cal.com. Now let's get back to Andrew Bassett, where he's discussing documentation changes in AMS 2750F. All right, that sounds great. So that that covers the first two that we wanted to talk about: the overall or the resident SAT, and now the alternate SAT. So let's wrap let's wrap up with this uh, SAT waiver, which is okay. obviously of interest. Well, actually, I want to jump back real quick into the alternate SAT because we actually finally added some um, documentation requirements. Now, again, before there was no requirements of how to document all this. So we actually put some hard requirements down on how to uh, document the alternate uh, SAT requirements. So you have to list out the thermal processing equipment, you know, identify which furnace you're doing this on, what's the sensor system that's being tested, what sensors or role of wire that's being replaced. Um, You have to identify the reason why you're doing the SAT. Well, because I replaced my thermocouple after every run, you know, something simple like that. Uh, if you're doing the full calculation method, then you have to show all your calculated methods. So it's, it, you know, we did finally put some teeth in, hey, how are you going to document this as well? Because again, in Rev-E, there was no uh, defined method of how to document it. Now we threw out some requirements of what, what is required. So wanted to put that last last piece out there for you. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. I jumped the gun. So that, that's good to know. <laughs> no worries. So the SAT waiver, tell us about it. Okay, so the SAT waiver, um, in all my years of doing uh, out there in the field of pyrometry, uh, I rarely found many suppliers that actually did this SAT waiver correctly. Now, we didn't change a lot of the um, the uh, basics of the requirements, but we did change some 
some new some new requirements to get your data uh, to make sure you do this uh, correctly. So we still uh, require that uh, if you're using a noble metal load thermocouples, uh, which are the, the, the platinum-based thermocouples again, those have to be replaced or recalibrated on a quarterly basis. Um, if you have uh, base metal load thermocouples, uh, if they are expendable, they should still be just a single use. Uh, if they're non-expendable, uh, so the sheet-type thermocouples, um, they shall meet the requirements of uh, Table 6 in AMS 2750F, and that gives you guidelines of how often those need to be re- uh, replaced. And then also, uh, if you have any kind of observations that are made and recorded on at least a weekly basis, uh, reveal any unexplainable difference between their readings and readings of two recording sensors. And now this is where the change really occurred for um, on those two additional sensors. So we kind of spelled out these weekly readings um, have to be conducted at one production set point measured within five minutes of the end of the production soak period. Again, what this this weekly log you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to compare one sensor against another sensor that you've identified. So some people have used the control sensor as the one sensor and the, uh, let's say, the high limit thermocouple as the second sensor. And they have to stay within a two degree relationship from your last successful survey. So we said, okay, if you're going to, and people were kind of um, wondering, well, when do I take this this weekly reading. So we kind of spelled this out a little bit further. We're saying, okay, then you, this weekly reading must be done at a production set point measured within the five minutes of the end of the production soak period. So in other words, we've let your, your thermocouple soak out for a period of time. And that's when you can do your, your, um, comparison check. So, and they have to be within two degrees of the relationship determined at the most recent TUS temperature and at the nearest temperature tested during the most recent TUS. So let's say we do a survey at 1600 degrees and my controls reading 1600 degrees and my overtemps reading 1602. So next week I come along and I said, oh, we're running a job here at 1500 degrees and my controls reading 1500 degrees and my, my overtemps reading 1501. You're good. You're within that two degree relationship. So that's where this two-degree relationship needs to occur. But the one thing that we've done now is we restricted the two sensors have to be different types. So before, you would have, let's say, two Type S thermocouples in your furnace. You can't have two Type S thermocouples. Now you'd have to make a different thermocouple or have a different thermocouple type for the relationship. And this is more to um, uh, you know, catch any drifting of your thermocouples over time. So, for instance, if you had a Type S thermocouple uh, in your furnace as your control, you're going to have to be limited to either a Type B or Type N thermocouple as that secondary sensor that you're doing your relationship check with. So that's what the um, a big change is because before you know people just used the two same sensors and again what we were concerned about is if let's say those two thermocouples were made from the same lot of material there's a good chance you know when the thermocouples start to drift they're going to drift in the same direction so that relationship you would never yep yep so um, again we did put some similar restrictions on uh, as resident thermocouples. you know, as I mentioned, if, for the example I used, if you had type S control thermocouple, uh, you could you'd be limited to type B or N, uh, but we also allow for R as that extra thermocouple, but R and S are very similar in the chemical composition makeup, so we don't allow an S to go against an R and vice versa. So um, in that case, but let's say if you had a control thermocouple that was K, then you really any other thermocouple that's uh, uh, allowed, once you're above 500 degrees and you're, you're, you're limited to the B, R, 
SNN, similar to the resident, uh, almost, you know, it's actually exactly like the resident uh, sensor requirements as well. Got it. Got it. Got it. Good. Good. Anything else on that SAT waiver then, Andrew? So we do, we do uh, again now have some documentation requirements too. Again, before then there was no requirements there. So again, you have to list the, the, uh, the equipment that you're doing the waiver on. Uh, you have to identify the control sensor, what type of sensor it is, plus what the additional sensor is used for the re- uh, sensor relationship test. Uh, you have to uh, list out the date of when the control and additional sensor, uh, uh, the additional sensor to be used when those were installed and when they were replaced or recalibrated. Uh, you have to list out the run number and date. So when you have that production cycle on a weekly basis that you're you're doing again, we want some kind of uh, easy identif- identifier that tells you, okay, it was done on run number ABC123 and the date was, you know, uh, 9-8-2020. So we can, you know, we can go back to the records and verify it. Uh, date and temperatures of the most recent TUS and uh, the documentation, that weekly log. We need to see that weekly log as well. So, again, we finally put some teeth in the requirements of uh, the SAT waiver. Um, I don't think it's going to be a big uh, change for a lot of the suppliers out there. You know, they will have to change over that one sensor. But for the most part, we I, I think we... You know, we tweaked it enough where we felt more comfortable, especially changing those two different sensors that we didn't have drift occurring at the same time. That was our biggest concern as a committee. Right, exactly. So, so you're you're basically trying to ensure reliability, and and you're going to actually test for what you're testing for, and and uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, good. So that is the system accuracy test, major changes. We talked briefly about the overall resident or the overall or resident SAT, the alternate SAT, and then we talked about the waiver. So if you've got questions, uh, you should be sure to, to email them into us and we can potentially get Andrew to respond to them. Uh, the email you'd want to send those to is HTT, like Heat Treat Today, the initials of Heat Treat Today, HTT at heattreattoday.com, and we'll, uh, we'll try to get your questions answered. Of course, you can also, we'll leave Andrew's information at the end of these, uh, each of these uh, podcasts, and you can also contact him directly, which would be fine. So, Andrew, I've got a, a kind of a final question for you, uh, not dealing specifically with any aspect of the, of the revision, but just to give people a sense of the amount of time that folks in your shoes, people who have invested time or actually on the committee, uh, how much time do you think you've invested in the Rev F portion of AMS 2750? Sure. I mean, it, 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 it was a long process. So, you know, put it in perspective, we, we developed our sub team and had our first meeting back in October of 2017. Um, and that was uh, during uh, one of the uh, NADCAP meetings. And we kind of were on a fast track to get this uh, spec uh, revised and put out there. So it actually wasn't released until June of 2020. So, the, you know, a three-year-plus is a fast track in in, in the eyes of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of the AMS world. But we did meet um, about four, uh, at least six times a year, six or seven times a year, uh, either during an AMEC meeting or during one of the NADCAP meetings we had had uh, numerous uh, uh, WebEx calls. So, you know, if I put them all, the sum of times together, I mean, when we when we actually met face-to-face, they were a good eight-hour, eight to ten-hour sessions of, you know, hammering out the spec. And then we would take it back to our own, you know, our own groups and kind of, you know, muddle through what we discussed. So, you know, it, it, it was a long period of time. I'd hate to say put a, an hour on it. I, I, I wish we got paid for that. I think I would have done okay. Say, but, um, I was going to say, we couldn't afford done. it. 
we couldn't afford you. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it, we we was uh, it, you know it's it's just the uh, you know being a part of this team is is you know since we our company and, and what we do we have to live breathe eat this spec day in and day out for our customers and I just wanted to be a part of the you know the process of of, of getting this documentation so the the world you know can understand the the issues in pyrometry. Right, right, exactly. And I got one other question for you um, mm-hmm. before we give them a little te- give our listeners a little teaser about what might be next time. The uh, you told us in the first episode how you got onto the committee. Are they always looking for people to participate on the committee, or is that they they kind of you know carefully fence that and only invite in certain types? Well, anybody's anybody can be a member of of AMEC. So that's you know anybody who wants to get involved with the the revisions of any of these specifications, including the AMS twenty seven fifty. They're more than happy to you know show up at an AMEC meeting. You know, get involved. Um, you know, volunteer to get involved with the specifications. I mean, I remember my first meeting, and and, and uh, the chairman said, "Yeah, you need to get on this twenty seven fifty team." And he's like, "Oh, by the way, we're thinking about writing some other specs that we're going to throw you under the bus for." So it was, <laughs> you know, yeah. they want. They, they're looking for young blood to get involved um, with with these specifications and and uh, be a part of it. So anybody can really get involved with these spec- specifications. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so if if you are listening and you're one of those people that might be interested in participating in that, uh, you can certainly get a hold of Andrew. And again, we'll give his contact information at the end here. So next time, this is our this was our second part two in a three part series. Our last last episode will be on temperature uniformity surveys and the issues of rounding and also some quality assurance provisions. So look forward to that. Plan on talking with you then. Andrew, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate you being with us. Doug, I appreciate it as well. Look forward to the next conversation. I hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode. In part three of this three-part series with Andrew Bassett on AMS 2750F, we will discuss temperature uniformity surveys, the issue of rounding, and quality assurance provisions. If you'd like to learn more or reach out to Andrew, you can go to www.atp-cal.com and look at their About Our Team section in the main navigation bar. I'd also be happy to receive emails on behalf of Andrew. My email is doug at heattreattoday.com. I'll put you in touch with him directly. We're always interested in new topics, so if you have thoughts on what content you'd like to see us cover in future episodes of Heat Treat Radio, please feel free to send me an email and let me know what those topics might be. You can also reach out if you want to be a sponsor, which would be appreciated, of a future episode. Again, my email address is doug at heattreattoday.com. And be sure to head over to heattreattoday.com to check out all of the latest news and technical content from, from leaders in the heat treat industry, particularly aerospace, automotive, medical, energy, and general manufacturing. Read specifically the article on AMS 2750F entitled Expert Analysis and learn more about what Andrew and other leaders in the aerospace heat treat industry like Jim Oakes, president of Supersystem Incorporated and Doug Schuler, lead auditor and owner of Pyro Consulting, think about revision F of AMS 2750. While you visit 
aheattreetoday.com, you can download a free ebook under the resources tab and learn more about the pros and cons of on-site hydrogen generation. Aerospace testing and pyrometry help to support today's episode. Learn more about aerospace testing and pyrometry on the web at www.atp-cal.com. This and every other episode of Heat Tree Radio is the sole property of Heat Tree Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advance written permission from Heat Tree Today. Our audio producer is Jonathan Lloyd, and he created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. You can see his professional work on his website, which is jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. Bethany Funk is the Heat Treat Radio editor. Thank you, Bethany. And I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thank you for listening. <laughs>